Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the June 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, Anti-Masonry and Anti-Semitism by Leon Zeldis, 33rd Degree. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is probably the most notorious hoax to yoke anti-Masonry and anti-Semitism. More than once in the course of the last two centuries, anti-Masonry has been fused with an older hatred, anti-Semitism, Probably the irrational nature of both phobias facilitates their juxtaposition. Today, we are witnessing an increasing wave of both anti-Semitic and anti-Masonic propaganda. Possibly, the paradigmatic work of this class of literature is titled The Protocols of the Wise Men of Zion, sometimes also known as The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This is one of the most notorious literary falsifications in history. It was based on plagiarism and fraud from the very beginning of its gestation. Nevertheless, this swindle has captivated the imagination of many people who are sensible in other respects, and it has been transformed into a source of indispensable information for all anti-Semites and anti-Masons. This article will examine the history of this lethal hoax and look at the lamentable consequences it has had in modern history, as much from the point of view of the Jewish people as of the Masons around the world. The protocols appeared for the first time in 1905 at Sarsko Silo, a summer resort near St. Petersburg in Imperial Russia under the government of Tsar Nicholas II. The author, indicated in the first editions, was a person who is successively a lawyer, judge, and Greek Orthodox monk called Sergei Alexandrovich Nihilus. Originally, the Protocols appeared as a simple appendix in the second edition of a book by Nihilus entitled Velico vs. Malum, The Great Thing in the Small Thing. In the several editions that followed, 1911, 1912, 1917, and 1919, and always in Russian, Nihilus offers different explanations for how the manuscript of the Protocols had arrived at his hands, stressing that he only made the translation into Russian. Other editions and translations published by other people related different stories on the origin of the document. One of the most frequent explanations is that the protocols are the secret minutes of the first Zionist Congress held in Basel in 1897, summoned by Dr. Theodore Herzl. The argument developed in the document is that the Jews conspire to control all governments, destroy Christian civilization, and become masters of the world. The protocols provide details on these methods to be used to reach these objectives. Freemasonry would be the main tool used by the elders of Zion to deceive and dominate humanity. Let me begin by making clear that an organization like the Wise Men of Zion or the Elders of Zion never existed. Nevertheless, and without a shred of evidence to prove it, has been stubbornly maintained that these protocols were the minutes of this fictitious organization. Let us examine the form of the protocols. The first thing that draws the attention of the objective reader is that the text does not have any similarity to any protocol that was read. Protocols are minutes, that is to say, the relation of what happened in a meeting. It mentions a place, 
the date, the hour in which the meeting starts, who presides over it, generally the names of those who are present, and of those who excuse their absence, and briefly the description of the debates, who intervened, and sometimes in very summarized form, what was said and what resolutions were approved. Finally, there is a time of closing of the meeting and the signatures of those who guarantee the veracity of the minutes. None of these exist in the so-called protocols. The only signature is simply a line that says signed by the representatives of Zion of degree 33. Furthermore, one hears only one voice in the protocols. These are monologues or lectures, harangues we could say, without making any attempt to make it appear as a debate or the intervention of several people. It is a sad commentary on the credulity or the malevolence of those readers who have been ready to accept a text of this nature as real protocols, the minutes of a meeting. Going into the content, the absurdity of a supposed criminal plan prepared by a group that pretends to control the mass media of the entire world, but is incapable of preventing the repeated publication of its plans, is laughable. The immediate objective of the protocols was to undermine the political influence and the position of Count Witt, at the time the most important minister of the Tsarist government. Witt was a person of great culture and amplitude of views, a confidant of the Tsar who yearned to introduce an enlightened and modern imperial policy. Because the wife of Witt was of Jewish origin, the generalized opinion was that he favored the Jews of Russia, who had undergone persecutions and discrimination during centuries. The political opponents of Witt, headed by Grand Duchess Isabel, did everything possible to discredit him before the leading class and the royal family. She and her group ferociously fought against Count Witt's attempt to introduce the gold standard in Russia, to attract foreign investments, and to form an alliance with France. Also, it was well known that Count Witt wanted to improve the conditions of life of the Jews in Russia and to cancel certain repressive laws. The publication of the protocols was intended to undermine his influence on the Tsar and the royal family. Since some writers insist on attributing the protocols to the first Zionist Congress, summoned by Dr. Theodore Herzl, it is not out of place to give some explanations about this Congress, its true object, and its resolutions, all of which are amply documented. The Zionist movement, founded by Herzl and a few supporters, was simply a call to the Jewish people to return to their ancestral fatherland, Judea, which by the end of the 19th century was still part of the Ottoman Empire. The main objective of the Congress was to solve the quote-unquote Jewish problem of the European countries, especially by means of the emigration of the Jews. In their historic homeland, the Jews would return to work in agriculture, building, and other activities that had been forbidden to them during hundreds of years in their places of dispersion. The first worldwide Zionist Congress took place in the Swiss city of Basel, August 29th through 31st, 1897, where the true resolutions of the Congress were the creation of the World Zionist Organization to implement the Zionist program, the creation of a national fund to buy land, dry marshes, construct roads, and plant forests. The truth regarding the protocols was first revealed in 1921 by a journalist of the Times newspaper of London, Philip Graves. In Istanbul, then Constantinople, he found a worn copy of a French book entitled Dialogues in Hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu or the policy of Machiavelli in the 19th century. Printed in Brussels in 1864 by an anonymous author, the book had actually been written in 1858 by Maurice Jolie, an anti-Semite French lawyer and monarchist from an old Catholic family. In his novel, in the form of a dialogue between the grave between Montesquieu and Machiavelli, Jolie attacked Napoleon III of France. Jolie was promptly imprisoned for 15 months. 
Graves immediately realized the extraordinary similarity between these dialogues and the protocols of Nihilus. There were whole paragraphs that had been copied literally. In three long articles published in the Times of London on August 16th, 17th, and 18th, 1921, Graves demonstrated that Nihilus had simply plagiarized the dialogues of Jolie, changing the original and adding anti-Semitic material to serve his purpose. Later studies confirmed this assertion. Although the Catholic Church has not been generally characterized by its affection for either Masons or Jews, it is a remarkable fact that one of the revelations of the absolute falsification of the Protocols was written by the Reverend Father Pierre Charles, Society of Jesus, published in the Nouvelle Revue Theologique of Belgium in January 1938. Note the date. Europe was on the eve of World War II. The totalitarian regimes of Hitler, Franco, and Mussolini triggered violent anti-Semitic and anti-Masonic campaigns. All who followed the development of these events realized that war was imminent and that the German military power would squash its neighbors, including Belgium. Father Charles must have been a man of exceptional courage, integrity, and love of his fellow man to dare publishing his rebuttal of the protocols at that time. Also, his superiors, who authorized the publication, displayed a sense of justice and humanity very scarce in the Europe of those years. Altogether, there are more than 160 passages in the Protocols, corresponding to 40% of the total text, evidently based on passages of Jolie. In nine of the chapters, the copied text reaches to more than half. Protocol number 15 is probably the most interesting from the Masonic point of view. It contains sentences such as, We will create and multiply free Masonic lodges in all the countries of the world. We will put all these lodges under a central administration known only to us. Between the members of these lodges will be almost all the international and national police agents. Here are all the elements of conspiracy theories, and it is not worth the trouble to try to discuss these assertions with someone who is ready to believe such nonsense. They have no knowledge of or desire to know of the strong independence of Grand Lodges worldwide or the fact that the secret police of all totalitarian regimes count themselves among the most rabid enemies of Freemasonry. The protocols, translated into many languages, spread like wildfire. In the British Museum of London, 43 different editions are conserved. Especially in the 1930s, the time of expansion for fascism and Nazism, we find no less than 28 editions and translations printed in the four corners of the world. The Protocols became the Bible of anti-Semites and anti-Masons. Adolf Hitler used them as justification for his policy of racial persecution that culminated in the final solution, the mass murder of millions of Jewish men, women, and children for their only crime of being Jewish. The Holocaust itself gave proof, in possibly the most tragic and concrete form, of the absolute nonsense of the presumed plans of worldwide domination described in the Protocols. Clearly, anti-Semitic and anti-Masonic hatreds have no relation to logic, only to psychopathology. Tragically, anti-Semitic and anti-Masonic propaganda continues to appear today without respite. New editions of the Protocols have appeared recently in the United States, Estonia, Slovakia, Ukraine, Iran, and Denmark. A translation into Greek was even published in Australia. In countries of long democratic tradition, like England and the United States, anti-Masonry has flowered again and is reaching new levels of fanatical activity. Anti-Semites and anti-Masons have quickly taken the opportunities offered by electronic technology, especially the Internet. The protocols in their history underline the adage that vigilance is the price of freedom and truth. Freemasonry must be ever ready to counter lies and assert the truth. 
May we never forget this mission or abandon the high principles of our craft. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.